Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And I'm Brianna Jones. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater. How are you doing today, Andrew? Well, I'm remembering what happened, you know, when I was young. And oh my god, that's a younger version of you right behind you. Oh really, right there? That's crazy. I can't see them Oh shit, there's a younger version of me behind me! What are you doing? What's happening? And they're also having a conversation vaguely similar to the one we're having, but not quite? Yeah. I'm also, I'm at a party uh, for the closing of this old theater, but there's no one else here. It's just me and and you talking, actually. It's weird. I mean, there's other people here. They're just not Not. here. Yeah. It's like a party, but if every person was in their own separate room. Remember how we were in love, Andrew? What? Remember how we were in love, Andrew? (laughs) And now we're not, and we're married to two different people now? I mean, I don't fully remember that, but I guess our younger versions are talking about it right now. Yeah, they're they're in love. They're making out right now. That could be us, but we should leave our respective partners and be with each other, right? I mean, I guess. I mean, why not? I mean, and then we don't, and then the musical ends. (laughs) Follies! Cue the music, Bree! Wow! Waiting around for the girls upstairs Weren't we chuckleheads then? Very young and very old hat Everybody has to go through stages like that Waiting around for the girls upstairs Thank you, but never again Life was fun, but so intense everything was possible and nothing made sense back there when one of the major events was waiting for the girls waiting for the girls waiting for the girls upstairs Follies is a musical with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. This is our first Sondheim um, since Passion, fun fact. Like, it's been, like, nearly 50 episodes. I, I, I put it on break, um, but back to, the, back to the thing. And a book by James Goldman. It was inspired by a New York Times article about a gathering of former showgirls from the Ziegfeld Follies. They decided upon a story about ex-showgirls which is what became Follies. It premiered on Broadway on April 4th, 1971 at the Winter Garden Theater. It closed on July 1st, 1972 after 522 performances and 12 previews. According to Variety, the production was a total financial failure with a cumulative loss of $792,000. And the entire budget of the musical was $800,000, which was one of the most expensive musicals ever put on um, at the time. <laughs> it lost everything. 
<laughs> basically um it was nominated for 11 tony awards and won seven the original production um it it, it was the second most costly musical uh, at that time the second um and hearing eight hundred thousand dollars and thinking the second most expensive musical of all time i don't know why that feels wrong to me <laughs> um they lost it all mm-hmm but so it really was expensive. It really was expensive. <laughs> um, the story concerns a reunion in a crumbling Broadway theater scheduled for demolition of the past performers of the Wiseman Follies, a musical review based on the Ziegfeld Follies that played in the theater between the world wars. It focuses on two couples, Buddy and Sally Durant Plummer and Benjamin and Phyllis Rogers Stone, who are attending the reunion. Sally and Phyllis were showgirls in the Follies. Both couples are deeply unhappy with their marriages. Buddy, a traveling salesman, is having an affair with a girl on the road. Sally is still as much in love with Ben as she was years ago, and Ben is so self-absorbed that Phyllis feels emotionally abandoned. Several of the former showgirls perform their old numbers, sometimes accompanied by the ghosts of their former selves. The musical numbers in the show have been interpreted as pastiches of the styles of the leading Broadway composers of the 1920s and 1930s and sometimes as parodies of specific songs. So, with all of that said, Andrew. Yeah. What is Follies? Like explain it to me in your best Andrew way cuz f- for clarity, we we're talking about the National Theater most recent version, not the the concert version that they made a few years ago. So, a bunch of old people meet up um to celebrate the glory days right before their theater gets destroyed. Um and only four of these old people matter. Um <laughs> Uh, and you got the two couples, um, who are both unhappy-ish in their own ways, and then there's, like, two of them want to break it off and and be with each other instead, like they were in the old days, and then they don't do that. And then I feel like that's really the only thing that happens in the entire show. And then there's Uh, a big fantasy sequence at the end. Yeah, but the fantasy sequence is basically directly related to what I just said. Yes. So, that's really the only thing that happens. I I am baffled by this show a lot. I like it a lot, but I also am profoundly bored by the actual plot. <laughs> I feel as though the score is carrying, and you probably agree with me. Yes. The the songs and the score is carrying the show harder than maybe any other show we've ever done. That isn't to say it is terrible. The story isn't terrible. Um I feel like the story is terrible until you get like near the end of act 2. <laughs> It, well, the thing is, this is a one-act. This is one of those illustrious one-act musicals that we keep talking about most musicals should be. Yeah, it's a one-act that's two and a half hours long. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, it, I am very conflicted about this one. I think this is one of Sondheim's top five scores ever. Like, this is some of his best music he's ever written. It's pretty strong. And if we're looking at it as just music and really like nothing else matters it's one of his best for sure yes um and my god the songs for women and especially older women are iconic even outside of this i have never seen a show with like songs about aging that isn't about how sad and miserable you are it is i mean it's not about that as much it's I mean, the ones that are given to women. There is talk about being sad and miserable, but that's not really in the women's category. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some good stuff outside of the music. Yeah. And I I do like especially the 
like final couple songs are very good. It just mm-hmm. feels like it's a long road to get there and it's not as though anything is like building to it. It's just kind of like the first half is just like reminiscing and kind of that kind of stuff and then we finally get to like everyone is drunk and making bad decisions and that's where it gets interesting and i don't know it just it's very slow to build up and it doesn't even feel like it's really building it's just kind of meandering until it finds a place that it wants to go okay i felt that way the first watch the second watch it felt like it was building since i knew where it was going i guess we'll say this is a one that you might need to watch a few times to actually appreciate. And I know you hate that statement in and of itself. I, I understand well, that. If a show isn't good the first time, uh, I feel like it's unreasonable to expect someone to pay several hundred dollars to see a Broadway show multiple times. So. I, I, I understand. <laughs> but in these days, Broadway wasn't exactly as expensive as it is now either. Well, I feel like the people still agreed with me, though, because it doesn't seem like that many people came back to see it a second time considering they didn't make any of their money back. <laughs> Your point point has been made. Um, I want to say it is a lot of theatrical choices here astonish me. The use of flashbacks, the use of ghosts of your former selves just kind of haunting behind you. It is scary to just have this character existing and acting out a scene and you see their younger selves just in the background, barely visible. It That is a haunting-ass image. And it uses that very often. And the way that they just transition into a flashback or a flashback is happening in the middle of the scene at the same time. Those things are like brilliant stage crafting decisions. I wish it was toward a better plot. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not anything of worth in this because there's definitely is a lot. Um, it's just, yeah, a lot of it is in service of something that sometimes is pretty boring. I mean, just really. Um I don't know if there's really a better way to put it other than just kind of kind of boring. I don't even... What makes it boring is the thing. Because in theory, it's about these two couples that have drama. And then you've got something like Company that is also about couples and all their issues. And that is never boring. Those ones are more exaggerated and you get directly into the issues like almost right away. Because it's being told by like a third party who is going and seeing the issues firsthand. And it's like... He goes, he sees the issues, goes somewhere else, sees the issues, goes somewhere else, sees the issues. This one, it's like, they don't want to jump directly into that drama because you can't have that drama carry two and a half hours of show. So you kind of have to just let it sit until near the end. And then finally we get like the juicy stuff. (laughs) I mean, I think we set up what the problem is fairly early on, which is like, um, Sally is still in love with Ben. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but we don't really get the payoff to that, like, at all until two and a half hours in. You, it's a build. It is a build. I know you feel like it's meandering, but it is a build. I don't know if slow burn is a good quality in a, in a musical. <laughs> but then again, you've got all these very good pastiches where he's playing, like, playing with, like, the Gilbert and Sullivan of, the, like, the folly age. And that's the stuff where Sondheim just has a blast doing it, and you can tell he's loving it. Um, and then you've got other things which are, like, I'm Still Here, which is about a middle-aged woman thinking that she knows everything. Um, it's, it's complicated. I have very conflicting feelings about this musical, and I feel like uh, I'm not explaining it as well as I really should. Yeah. Well, let's go through the stuff that's really good, mm-hmm. other than the songs, because we'll touch on those later. Yeah, we'll touch those. Um, I like the idea 
of people that, you know, didn't really try the relationship that they wanted to, and then they come back to it and they feel like they still should do it. That's interesting on its own. And just the idea that there's older people that still have regrets about their marriage. And I think in the time that this came out in the 70s, that is a pretty remarkable idea because you're always seeing like young people cheat on their spouses because it's always like that's a sexy thing. But you don't tend to see the older mid to autumn age um, people really being like, I am so unsatisfied with my life that I'm running back to my old flame from younger days. I feel like it's um it's a it's a situation where a lot of media probably around the time that this was made wasn't really allowed culturally to touch on these subjects. Yes. So this is almost like an edgy show in a way because it's like a older couple that is wanting to get a divorce to marry their younger love is kind of like edgy from like a 1970s perspective. Nowadays it's not really but I think it's just interesting because it's older folks. Um, I don't know why that that jumps out as like, oh shit, that's different, but it is. Well, like older marriages are supposed to be happy. Like yes. if you're married for that long, you're supposed to like, well, they're just, they're happy at the end. You know, like that, you, you never really heard that talked about. That's like, mm -hmm. oh, they've been married for 40 years, but they're extremely unhappy. At least not until a bit later. I feel like that was common in like 90s sitcoms, but not, not in like the 70s. No, um, I, I also think that every character is very well defined like it's all character work so really this would be a horrible slog if the characters weren't very defined sally is a very different human being than phyllis and ben is a very different human being than buddy and they all have these very innate connections and the webs of connections and all that and it is always interesting to try to see how this person will play off that person and that person will play off this person and how this person will react to X news and all that. That stuff is really work. The character work is great in this. And Juicy, yeah. very, very meaty character work. I just feel like it doesn't get into the, the good stuff until too late into the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that, but it's there is an argument to be made that maybe that makes the good stuff even better. Like, it is building to the good stuff. It gets better as opposed to worse. I don't know. I feel like Company is a good show to contrast that, where they get into the juicy stuff almost immediately, and it's probably a better show for it. Maybe. And this is Sondheim's follow-up to Company. Like, and they are very similar shows, and they also like, have very cynical views on marriage in and of itself. I feel like if Company was a show where it, like, it took out the like uh, the lead that was going around to these different couples, and it just focused on one of the couples and like set up their issues early on, but didn't really have that uh, real conflict until the end. It would have been boring, and that's kind of what this is. <laughs> uh, Bree, from what we're talking about here, like, what do you? Does it sound interesting to you? Like, what do you think of this story that we're describing? Um, you know, it's funny that you ask because I was literally looking up. I'm like, really? Like, what is this? What is this musical? And um, does it sound interesting? I don't know. I've like when I was looking it up, I saw, is it a concept musical? Which I guess would be a question for you guys. Do you think it's a concept musical? Um, uh. 
Which no. makes me think it it might be if you think it takes more than a couple times to digest. I feel like if it was like a concept, then you would have like multiple couples going through. That's company. Company things. is a concept musical. That is the first concept musical. Where this yeah. is a narrative through and through. There is a follow through and all that. There is it's a just plot. a narrative. It's like a narrative without a plot. Like maybe maybe it's a plot without a story. Is what I mean. There's a story. It's just that it all kind of like. <laughs> It's a front-loaded, well, like... You've explained to me the difference between plot and story before, and, like, yeah. story is, like... Because, like, the story in this is that there is a party that all these people are attending that is for this closing uh, closing down of this thing, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And that's, like, the entire story. Nothing else happens beyond that. But then the plot is that these people are breaking up their yeah. relationships. That is a very... I'm proud that you remembered that. Yes. So maybe the issue is that there isn't enough story or that they never talk about the story outside of like the very beginning. Like what if there was like a few lines that were more about like, and you could even have it be like metaphorical, like, man, I'm sad that this, the theater's closing down, you know, like they, once, once they've set up that the theater's closing down, they never talk about it again. You know, like in the whole, the party aspect, you could forget that they're at a party after the first two scenes because there's only four characters in the whole thing. <laughs> The, I disagree, though, because then you have, like, these big dance numbers and flashbacks where you have the older characters and their younger counterparts all dancing. Those the are flashbacks, though, and those are not part of the story. They're part of the plot. They are, they are aspects of the story. And I feel as though the closing of this theater is a really good metaphor for what is happening plot-wise. Um... Because at the end of it, they accept that this old relationship that didn't happen can't happen, basically, if, if I'm interpreting it correctly. Um, I feel like it was just never meant to be. Um, yeah, so then you could have the theater being demolished. Is It's like metaphorical for the the old relationship, the dream of that being demolished. It's, it's over. This is the last hurrah. There's no chance. It will ever happen now. And but the like, imagery of sh the the destruction of the follies is also a folly in and of itself. Yeah, but the destruction of the building, they don't even mention it at the end. Like, at the end of it, it's not like, oh, it's over, now the building is destroyed and there's some spectacle or something. But, like, no, they don't even mention it. It's just forgotten, washed away. <laughs> Let me read you what this guy wrote. Okay, so this is called Flipping Over Follies. The concept behind Follies is theater nostalgia representing the rose-colored glasses through which we face the fact of age. And the exploring... In exploring the idea, the fancied paste and the painful reality, Harold Prince and Stephen Sondheim have carried the musical theater into size. Um, Follies is awesome. It looms out of the winter garden shadows like a giant ghost ship. I, I, I can't disagree with that, but oh, it's, I don't imagine modern audiences being like, oh, fuck yeah, Follies. <laughs> However, any of these songs being played I've seen them in cabarets. I've seen them anywhere. Every one of these songs are fucking bangers on their own. I just feel like they could spice it up and they could make this a more interesting show. All right. Like there is elements here that could make for a good show, but I just, I don't know. I feel like if it was just the last hour, I think it would actually be uh, really good. But that first hour is so freaking boring. I don't know if I can stand by <laughs> So, Andrew, they are making a movie out of Follies, which is a musical that I think would make a terrible movie. This is, like, such a stylized piece, such a strange... Like, it relies so much in that flashback 
visual, like, and that just won't work on film. Um, and they hired the guy that directed the production we watched, the National Theater Live production. He is directing the film. Originally, it was going to be Rob Marshall, who did Chicago and Into the Woods and Mary Poppins Returns. That would have been awful in, like, different ways. How would you, if you were hired to direct this as a film, what would you change? What would you alter to make it as emotionally gripping as you think it should be? That's a really hard question because I think the right answer is I don't think I'd make a film out of it. Um, I just, I, it doesn't suit a film format. Not at all. Um, but gun to our heads, we got to do it. Like, you and I co-directing okay. this movie. I have no fucking idea. I mean, you'd have to do the flashbacks. I'd probably do the flashbacks not in, like, the movie, like, you know, like, and, and then it, like, wavy screen into a flashback. You know, like, I feel like you'd have to do it in a way where it's, like, the younger versions of themselves just kind of show up in the scenes unexpectedly, like they do on stage. In editing tricks, maybe, like, if we use the language of cinema, like, you got a shot reverse shot of her and ben um just kind of talking and then we do the reverse shot to get her response and then it's just the younger version of her and then we continue it as that that could be a fun way to do it yeah that or just like surrealism stuff where it's just like you know they're talking frame forward and in the background also like the younger versions are just kind of there could be interesting too it could be the visual style where we make their younger versions in black and white like every time like at first first flashback we cut back and it's just a black and white shot and then we see them as characters behind them but they as human beings are in black and white and are their older versions are in color so we can at least keep that cinematic language yeah um and yeah I feel like I'd want to end it with something spectacular as well. I feel like the the number uh, chaos is kind of ripe for like imagery of the destroyed theater, um, like that ending, mm -hmm. um, and then having the final shot of the movie be like the building itself being destroyed, like actually being demolished, and then that's kind of the end. <laughs> I don't know. That feels like a very 1970s ending to a movie, though. This is the 1970s story. I, what do I you agree. want? I'm with you. <laughs> I agree, but like, I'm just imagining that it feels like the ending of the Cabaret movie, where it's like, oh, it's over. I mean, not that much happens in the story, so having it be like a, oh, it's over, is kind of like necessary. <laughs> like, there's not like a, there's not like an ending. Like, I feel like we should talk about the ending because there's not like a, a moment where it's like, ah, it's over. I'm satisfied. <laughs> but we do kind of have an 11 o'clock number yeah and it's good but it's not satisfying no and it is weird that it's ben's moment at the end because he doesn't really feel like a character that sings and has many opinions on things like sally feels like the emotional crux of this story as annoying and kind of grating as she is well isn't um i feel like the idea of his final number though is that he has been pretending to be somebody who doesn't yeah. have opinions and doesn't wouldn't be a character to sing. So that's why it is a big moment when, oh, now he is singing and he's singing about how much he doesn't care and it doesn't work. It all and falls apart. And then he doesn't know his lines. He <laughs> fucks it all up. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit, he actually does care. And oh, OK. Mm -hmm. But then it, by then it's too late. <laughs> yeah. That enti the entire love land to the end is like an incredible short play in and of itself. There's so much, so much good stuff in here. And it's just frustrating because I, I kind of get why people didn't resonate with it. Like, even at first, I don't really resonate with it. But my God, every song, every song is perfect. 
Um, but you know what? We talked about how people didn't resonate with it. I think it's time for us to go into our favorite segment where we compare our opinions to that of the New York theater critics when this originally came out. It is time for previews. It's time for previews. It's time for previews. So, today on previews, we got a couple reviews here. New York Times critic Clive Barnes said of the original 1971 Broadway production, there are many good things here. I think I enjoyed it better than the Sondheim slash Prince last torn marriage manual company. And obviously, everyone concerned here is determined to treat the musical seriously as an art form. And such aspiration must be encouraged. Like, that felt like a backhanded compliment. It's like, uh, it seems like he doesn't like company, and his only comment on this is that he liked it better. <laughs> I mean, the the specific thing is, you're taking this medium seriously to tell grown-up stories. Good for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with him, just straight up, because I think company is better, but... I agree. Um, I mean, yeah, they are treating the musical as an art form, and it is an art form. I don't know why you would even make that comment, like... Of course it's an art form. Okay, I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking for a bit, and it's it's attacking my brain a bit. I think this has a better score than Company. <laughs> uh, maybe. I'm just I think it's here like... overall, it's less memorable, though, just because, like, you can remember the scenes in Company, and, like, I don't think I can remember the scenes in this. <laughs> I can, is the sad thing. Like, that's the only reason why I can, is because I remember the song so well, and they kind of define each scene. So I remember almost every plot beat in this just because I remember how fucking great a song was. Whereas Company, this is also just much more melodic than Company, and Company's big on, like, patter songs. Yeah. So it might just be a taste thing. I don't think, I mean, I wouldn't put them very far apart. I no. wasn't, like, a massive fan of Company. Like, it's fine. <laughs> um, and I think this is fine, too. So. All right, we're traveling to Walter Kerr's opinion on it. Bria, what we got? Why does the New York Times have so many critics? <laughs> That is a good question. But this is the same production, too. And they're all men. Yeah. Why are they all yeah, men? That, that is an issue. New York well, Times. We know, why, we know why they're all men. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, New York Times critic Walter Kerr said of the original 1971 production, did him and uh, Clive Barnes go at the same time? They go together? Yeah, they probably uh, did. They held hands and everything. Wow. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right, Jess? Why, why would I... I would, I didn't say that. They just did that. So okay, there'd be there. a problem. Because they're best There friends. isn't a problem. Okay. <laughs> they were roommates. <laughs> oh my God, they were roommates? Okay, I'm going to cut that. Okay. <laughs> Don't cut it. Come on. Cut okay. it. Cut it. <laughs> New York Times critic Walter Kerr said of the original 1971 production, Brianna said for the third time, Follies is intermissionless and exhausting, an extravaganza that becomes tedious for two simple reasons. Its extravagances have nothing to do with the pebble of a plot and the plot, which could be wrapped up in approximately two songs, dawd dawdles through 22 before it declares itself done. <laughs> Andrew, did you write that? Are you Walter Kerr? Okay. I mean, I agree with him in what he's saying, but probably not in tone. I feel like it's a bit too mean. Um, although, I will say I did not have to sit through it intermissionless, and it is two hours and 22 minutes long, um, at least the version I saw. Yes. Um, and that is nightmarish, and you should be allowed to go to the bathroom during your show that you paid money to see. No, Andrew, um, you gotta take two poops before you see a musical. It's true, but sometimes you want to take a break anyways. What if you want to go outside and just kind of stretch your legs a little bit? 
Two and a half hours is not a short amount of time to be sitting in a chair. Um, Aren't regular musicals two and a half hours anyway? Yep. It's a weird, weird thing. Yeah, but they have intermissions. Yeah. <laughs> True. But they're still this, long. It, yeah, but this he's saying there's no intermission and it makes it right, exhausting. Right, right, I know. Why wouldn't they put an intermission if it was two and a half hours Hell long? Prince was like really hell-bent on this being a one-act. It's not. <laughs> I mean, I would say, I would say like realistically it isn't even a one-act. Because, like, I would say there is two distinct acts. There's, like, the build-up section and then, like, the payoff section. Um, and it's pretty split. Uh, but whatever. Where would you, you know, have put we'll... the act one? Where would you have put the act one closer? I mean, what song would I put it at? Yeah. I don't know exactly. Um... But I will say you could have put one in. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to declare myself able to de decide where that would be. All right. All right. You know, put that down in the middle. Don't have an opinion. That's fine. All right. Speaking of not having an opinion, we got one more, right, Bree? Who's this Good one from? Ben Bradley. With some words that I probably can't pronounce. Okay. Is this the, is this the one we saw or is this... No. 2011. No, this is okay. the UK. This is the other side of the West End where they put a lot of effort in some weird artsy musical. Okay, New York oh, Times critic oh, no. Ben Brantley said of the 2011 Kennedy Center revival production, Oh Lord, I thought disconsolately a few minutes into the show, into the slow creeping opening scene of Eric Schaefer's starry production, which was looking as if it might depress itself into a coma. Is this what I'm spending the night with? Yet almost as soon as the curtain rose on the second act at the Eisenhower Theater here, I was showing all the familiar symptoms of deep infatuation, increased pulse rate, welling eyes, and an overwhelming urge to beat my hands together until they stung. And more than in any Foley's, I have seen, and I have seen seven or eight versions, the Loveland section becomes the show's apotheosis and its necessary fulfillment. Suddenly, hitherto flat characters spring into three pulsing dimensions. It would have been better, of course, had these folks been more fully realized from the beginning. But in this version, at least, you become newly aware of the singular psycho psychological uses that Mr. Sondheim can make of seemingly threadbare song forms. Pastiche? Heck, those are full-blown works of psychoanalysts. Psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis. Why the fuck can I speak? I actually feel like he makes some good points here, which is unlike Wh Ben Brantley. What? Ben I mean, Brantley showed up agree? to work for a Sondheim musical? Yeah, do you agree here that he actually made some decent points? He made some fine points, but I also do highly disagree with him and the characters, where I think the characters are probably the most three-dimensional parts of any version of this show, just because of how good they are written. And it's just kind well, he's, of... Well, he's saying that they are three-dimensional, he just wishes that they had become more interesting earlier on. I guess. Um, but I still think from the beginning they're very well-defined characters, very direct are you sure you aren't taking your knowledge of the three dimensions given to them at the end of the show and transposing that on to the beginning of the show? Yes, I am sure of that. <laughs> okay. Even me watching it the first time, I was like, man, these characters are really popping. I wish that I wish I knew where the story was going. And then the second time around, I'm like, yeah, these characters still work. And now I have all the context. Great. Good for me. Oh, well. Who among these reviews do you agree with the most? Is it Ben Brantley? It actually is Ben Brantley. 
The second one is too negative, and the first one, I don't really even know what they're saying exactly. So I just have to agree with Ben Brantley the most. Man, he did it. He did it. He 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 ran right into the wall. I feel like I've agreed with Ben Brantley before, but it's always yeah. on like artsy artsy musicals where like he actually comes out to play and he's like, I'm gonna actually watch this one and then actually write a real review on it. I'm gonna have an opinion and defend it, you know? Like a real critic uh, might. Like a real critic might do. Unlike when he watches, like, anything that he has already decided immediately that he doesn't care about and then he just doesn't even write a real review about it. But then you got some weird <laughs> shit like Spongebob where he gives, like, an insanely positive review. Nickelodeon gave him money, that's why. Yeah. But sadly, <laughs> Marvel didn't give him money to do Spider-Man. I don't think even if they gave him money, he could have reviewed that positively. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. Um, they may have given him money just to put him in the, in the seat. <laughs> you know what, Andrew? That's a great transition. Speaking of giving us money, how about we go into a mid-show interruption? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt you in the middle of the show, but we've got a shish sh- 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 at you. Today's show is brought to you by the extremely kind donations by our donors over at Patreon, which is a place where you can donate to us, and we got tons of fun stuff. Um, we got commentaries, we got full-on podcast episodes. Um, we have we we did an AI D and D for Evan Hansen, which was that a was a fun blast. One. You guys should check that out. Um, but Andrew, who's currently donating to us on Patreon? Well, our current patrons are Melissa Goldman, Terry Needleman, John Donna, Light uh, Knackles, Danielle Rennix, Jess the Stampede, Ewan Cassidy, Tess Skier, Fire of September, Monica Thoreau, Mina Maneri, Brent Black, Haley Murray, Nathaniel Stacey Coombe, uh, Joseph Evans Green, Carrie Ahern, Mary Lou Choquette, John Vanels, Heck You I Go by Elijah Now, Russ Walker, Musical Hell, Emily Gracie, uh, Andrew Van Barson, To Blam, Kyle Summers, Janae C, Christina Francis, Scoot in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Felice R., Liz Lim, Allison Stuller, Nothing is Certain Except Beth and Taxes, John Vanels, Thesbian, Ren Cullen, Wait in the Wings, uh, Spectacle Machine, Jacob Stroop, Raphael Martinez-Salas, uh, Robert Benjamin, Rochelle T, uh, Jessica T, Genevieve Hartnett, Cass, Mitchell Young, Chai Teacup, uh, Hayden Wilder, uh, Katie McDonough, Timothy Keys, Jeffrey Machado, uh, Jacuse, Toon Van Essen, R. Elliott, Chris, uh, Mar- uh, is that Chris Marcote? Or, yeah, that's probably... I'll say that's right. Uh, Katie, Katie Turberg, uh, Mimu, uh, Hiji Marie uh, Anastasio, um, Leah La, and RJ Noriga. If you'd like to be just like them and get tons of fun perks, such as what I listed before, come join and us. And getting over your and- name mispronounced. Yeah, you can have your name butchered by Andrew DeWolf, and only or Mimu Jess. really gets that. I feel like, I feel like uh, Jess butchers names too, but only when they're new. Yeah, I usually get it eventually, because they usually send me a correction, and then I just memorize that. <laughs> yeah, and then he doesn't give me the correction, he just... <laughs> it's funnier if I just let you struggle, to be honest. <laughs> he actually doesn't give me the correction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever given him the correction of any of them. I mean, I've gotten several, but I... We got... Wait, no, sometimes I do. 
Um, yeah, because there's a couple where I've had in parentheses how to pronounce it. You, you had to admit that. I've done that. All right, let's get back to the show, guys. <laughs> Of, here they come, those beautiful girls. That's what you've been waiting for. Nature never fashioned a flower so fair. No rose can compare. Nothing respectable, half so delectable. Let's go look at all those beautiful girls. That's such a weird, like, first number. It's good, though. I think it's actually a fine intro. Who the fuck says Sondheim can't write catchy songs? Almost every one of these, like, pastiche songs have gotten stuck in my head at some point this week. I, I mean, yes, he can write. I think the sentiment is more that he doesn't write catchy songs very often. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think every one of these, I can at least hum you them after listening to them for, like, the first time. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I'm expecting that, then. All right, all right, I'll do that. <laughs> Shit, who the fuck do you think I am? Beautiful Girls, I think, is a good number, um, and it's a good intro to, like, just how the show is going to be set up. I, I, I agree, and also, like, it, it is a visual delight to see, like, the flashbacks kind of introduced here. It is really, yeah. really cool. That's kind of what I mean, like, the, the way that they do the flashbacks right at the start here, so, like, you kind of know, and it's not just jarring when the first time you see it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Great opening number. Um, I wish Roscoe had more songs in this musical because he, he he's a fun character that doesn't really do much after this. Doesn't he not do anything after this? Am I? He basically is like, I could have fucked whoever I want. And that was the one scene. And yeah, he's like, bye. <laughs> I'm leaving the musical now. <laughs> then Roscoe returned to his home planet. He died on the way there. <laughs> basically. Um, then we got Don't Look at Me. Uh, between Sally and Ben, which is Sally's like big first moment where it's weird that like this is the first time she sings because we've had her on stage for quite a while. But this is when she and Ben first meet and she's like, oh, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Oh, you're so beautiful and you look the same and I'm so old. Which is just a charming number about someone who's gotten older, really embarrassed to be around their, like, old high school flame. Little do they know it's gonna go much further than that. And then not. No, don't talk to me, Ben. <laughs> I forget what were we like. It's so hazy. Look at these people, aren't they eerie? Look at this party, isn't it dreary? I'm so glad I came. So just look at us, fat, turning gray. Me, I'm a hundred, you, you're a blessing. I'm so glad I What we need is a drink. What do you think of this song? Character-wise, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, 
no, I mean, would you say that this is setting up Sally as the lead? This is a really, yeah, because this is a kind of weird I want song in a way where we know what she wants through the song without her saying, I want this thing. That is, yes, actually, I don't think I've ever seen an I want song like this before now that I'm thinking about it, where we, the audience, understand what is being conveyed as her main goal without her stating it. It's about what she's not saying and the way she's reacting. It's the character. Fuck, that's so, this is so good. This is so damn good. <laughs> <laughs> like you just blew my whole mind apart right there jesus christ yeah it does still make it a little bit weird that they give ben the closer but i think it still makes sense she gets the 11 o'clock though i will say she gets the 11 o'clock in a way true true uh well what's next that's good that we want to talk about there's a lot of songs for the, the girls upstairs this is I really, really, really like this song. And, oh yeah, yeah. Waiting around for the girls upstairs. <laughs> da, He's da, actually da, doing da. it. <laughs> I remember me and Ben. Me and Ben would come around at 10. Me and Ben and hang around the wings. Watching things with, what the hell was his name? You know, the old guy. Max, I remember. Anyway, there we'd stay until the curtain fell. And when the curtain fell, then all hell broke. Girls on the run and scenery flying, doors slamming left and right. Girls here, they run these washing but try not to duck out of sight. Girls by the hundreds waving and crying, see it tomorrow night. This is a fun one. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing the plot relevance on this, but I feel like this one's more of just a fun number. Um, it is, but it also introduces everyone's individual doppelganger, their ghost. Um, because yeah, okay. what becomes, what started out as like a duet becomes a quartet becomes, um, what's an octet? Is that eight? Yeah, because it's four and four. There's the four young versions of the four old version. Yes. Yeah. So it starts small. It starts as like, and it just shows, and it just expands so naturally. It starts with like the, hey, up there, way up there, and like all that, and then you add the more people, and then more people, and then more. It builds on each other so fucking beautifully. This is probably one of the best scenes in there. Yeah. Just because of how I smart mean, it is. And again, I think with the, with the idea that the music is carrying the show in this early part, mm -hmm. like this is a really good song with like nothing. <laughs> Like, plot-wise, there's just not really anything to it. It sets but it's up their fun. past. Like, I think as far as, like, exposition goes, it does a lot with a little without realizing it's doing it. I, you can spin it that way. I feel like it doesn't do that much, but... <laughs> I think it's doing more to explain its theatrical tact, if that makes okay. sense. Okay, but it has already also been explained in, like, the opener. You so. get that in the opener, but you don't know... What am I trying to say here? You don't understand that Ben and young Ben are these connected people until you see this scene. I think it's important for connecting the old version to the young version instead of like, that's the general version. That's the general ghost of the young versions. This is like, this is Ben and this is young Ben and this is a uh, buddy and this is young buddy and this is, uh, you know, Sally yeah. and this is young Sally. Overall, very good song though. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, far, so far, none of the songs have been bad. And I think yeah. we've talked about all all of the songs so far. So. Basically, um, I don't intend to do that for the rest of that. Um, the next one, this one has just become a pop song in its own way, and it's called I'm Still Here. Good times among times, I've seen them all, and my dear, I'm still here. From Carlotta, yes. um, a middle-aged woman, um, made famous by Elaine Stritch, who appears much older but was middle-aged at the time. And culturally, this song has been revealed. Um, most people believe it's like uh, someone close to death explaining all the things they survived and becoming like hard as nails. Um, when really, in the context of the show, it's like a middle-aged person thinking they've been through it all while they still got another half of their life to get through. So they think it's that song from In the Heights, but really it's not that song. Yeah. It's this song. Yeah, um, I, I think this is one of the most iconic songs in the show. Uh, I just want to point out you didn't sing this one. Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to figure out which part I want to start it. Um, and I fought through, da-da, fought through wars, and I hear, I'm still here. And then it builds, <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> That's an excellent rendition. Excellent. Good times, bad times. I've seen them all, and my dear, I'm still here. That's Elaine Stritch. That's my impression of Elaine Stritch singing that. I feel like this is a fun song, and obviously, musically, it's good enough that it became a a popular hit. Mm -hmm. But again, like, does this have any real revel? This one especially has, like, nothing. Because Carlotta's just basically a, a... a, a, a tertiary character. Yeah, like a like literally like a one-off. I think this is like the only major scene for her. Mm-hmm. But it's still a fun song, uh, and it's still good. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have. I can't add that much to it that we haven't said already. Like it's got some of Sondheim's best rhymes in it. Like in and of itself, I think it's like he's really stretching, like in a good way, like showing, like yeah, I can make anything rhyme. I'm gonna rhyme say la vie to a to z. Fuck you. Do you think that he wrote this song and just wanted it in the show and couldn't figure out how to put it in, so he just invented this new character? No. I think he always wanted to set up how much shit has gone on in the in-between, and they this is the reason to do it. Because it really does kind of give you a setting of the the life between two world wars. Um, it's I've been through Gandhi, Windsor, Wally's Affair, and I'm here. Amos and Andy, Mahjong, and Platinum Hair, and I'm here. It's all about setting up what's happened. But we don't really... There's no reason for Sally to say this. There's no reason for Phyllis to sing this. But it does do a lot of contextual work. Okay. I love it. I I would not want this show without it. No, I mean, I'm not suggesting that. I think it's good. It just It's kind of a song you could put really anywhere because it's not really that relevant to the rest of the 
lot outside of just setting up some uh, external details, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Could I Leave You, Phyllis's big song. Could I leave you? No, the point is, could you leave me? Well, I guess you could leave me the house, leave me the flat, leave me the bracks and chagalls, and all that you could leave me the stocks for sentiment's sake. And 90% of the money you make, and the rugs, and the cooks. Darling, you keep the drugs, Angel, you keep the books, honey. I'll take the grand sugar, you keep the spinach, and all of my friends are just wait a goddamn minute. Sweetheart, I have to confess. Could I leave you? Yes. I think this is neck and neck with like two of my favorite songs in the show. I think this is a good one. Uh, this is the one, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the one where she gets really angry. Um, yes. Where basically her husband's like, well, just li- leave me, why don't you, if you're so unhappy. Yeah. And, she's like, and she's like, oh, I'll leave you all right, or whatever. <laughs> well, no, it's like, how could I leave you? Like, you should be able to, you leave me, bitch. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, she gets really mad about it. Um, passive aggressive is like the entire song, I'd say. I wouldn't even say it's passive aggressive. It is aggressive. just aggressive. Yes, just aggressive. <laughs> uh, no, it's good though, and it, it's this is the this is where I think it gets good because after this song is where there's a lot more intensity to um, all of the um, characters, mm-hmm. and I guess maybe you could argue a little bit before this song, but I feel like this song is the first one where it's like now it's intense. Now we're there. This is the payoff. Um, yeah, but it's a song about apathy in its own, by the end of it. It's a song about like, yeah, I'm apathetic about our marriage. That doesn't mean I want out of it. <laughs> um, but there's like some really dark, dark lyrics in here. Like, um, what putting my, putting thoughts of you aside in the south of France, what I think of suicide, darling, shall we dance? It is those thoughts. And also, leave you, leave you, how could I leave you? There you go. Fuck you. <laughs> Um, No, that's a good one, though. Literally any type of... This song is one of the best encapsulations of what this musical is trying to do in its most successful form. I also also think this is the the biggest number for Phyllis, because Phyllis kind of doesn't get as much attention as Sally and Ben do. No, but she has... She's thought of as this really funny character. She has like this sly Aubrey Plaza like kind of um, yeah. styled her. Um, I also want to tell a fun story about when Kathy Lee performed this song in Follies. Oh. And how she played Phyllis and she sang this song. But she's a very religious woman. And this song ends with just wait a goddamn minute. And she asked. Oh, no. Can we get rid of that? I don't want to use the Lord's name in vain. Oh, boy. And Sondheim was like, okay, can we replace it with fucking? (laughs) And she's like, yeah. (laughs) And it's so much better. It is so much better (laughs) because she's just like, wait a fucking minute. You could leave me the stocks for sentiment's sake and 90% of the money you make and the rugs and the cooks. You made it more vulgar. 
<laughs> that's not taking the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, I mean, I guess if that's if that's your objection, then I suppose making it more vulgar is fine. <laughs> and also, like some of the best lyrics he's ever written, like some of his best rhymes ever. And also some of his most poetic lyrics, like how do you wipe tears away when your eyes are dry, which sums up the song in and of itself. I, I'm not crying because I don't give a shit anymore. That don't mean I want to leave yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. Great, the whole, great song. The whole point is that she doesn't care, but also life is a lot easier if you just stay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's talk about Loveland next. Open us up, Jess. Uh, this is the beginning of... <laughs> I mean, the song, you gotta see. <laughs> okay, never mind, you don't have I to. I mean, it's 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 a weird kind of past issue, like, da, da, everything in love land. Like, it's this big folly number, the the moment when the pastiche takes over. What do you think of this sequence altogether, though? Um, So this is where the show turns, like, fantasy-esque yes where it stops being like dry realistic and becomes like weird realistic fantasy yeah i don't know how i feel i feel like this particular song wasn't the most memorable for me but i like the direction that it takes the show in um if that makes sense basically an overture for this mini play inside of this play yeah because i feel like and i've been saying it the whole time but this ending section here is the best part um so Mm mm-hmm this particular song, I don't have strong feelings about, but the whole rest of it here is where it gets really good, so. Yeah. Um, speaking of, I here's where we might get into an argument about which is the 11 o'clock number. Um, I want to talk about Losing My Mind, which has also become a pop song in its own way. And between this and Could I Leave You, I think I can't pick between them. They're both tied for the best song in the show, and also, like, now we're gonna... <clears throat> Um, losing my mind. The sun comes up, I think about you. The coffee cup, I think about you. You said you loved me, or were you just being kind? Or am I losing my mind? There you go. Fuck you. (laughs) It was a fine rendition. I feel like we could do better, though. All afternoon doing every little chore.
This song is so fucking beautiful. Heartbreaking. Again, a moment where you're like mostly feeling annoyed by Sally. This depressing, like soul-crushing rendition of this song. This song just tears your heart out and makes you feel nothing but empathy. Sally is pretty broken by the end of the show. Like more so than the other characters, I think. Um, Yeah, it's pretty, it is pretty heartbreaking. She's in a very bad spot. Because she really wants to be with this person who really just can't or just yeah. won't. Um, He's a coward. Yeah. And yeah, this is a great song and it, it does represent all of that. And I feel like, does every character except for Phyllis get a song at the end here? Or maybe even Phyllis? I don't remember. Um, Could I leave you? I'm going to consider that is the trigger for Loveland. So. so Phyllis gets that number beforehand, but I feel like every other character gets this big number that yeah. represents them. Um, and as a song that represents what Sally has gone going through, it's very good. I do think I'm going to have to say I like thematically or theatrically, I guess, uh, what happens during Ben's number right afterwards more, but... Wait, who sang the story of Lucy and Jesse? Wasn't that wasn't that Phyllis? I think it was, but I don't think she's singing about herself there. No, she isn't. But she does have a song there. Yeah, but it, everyone else gets a song that like like doesn't Buddy have the God Why Don't You Love Me blues? And then yeah, and then Ben gets uh, Live Laugh Love. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, um, but it's the Phyllis's song is about the two sides of her personality. Um, the naive and passionate and the other one jaded and sophisticated and she wants to combine them. That is basically what that song is about. So it is about her but not about her predicament, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. I guess, yeah. Um, I did not like that song, by the way. I think the, I thought the lyrics were really uh, forced, or at least it felt that way to me. I, I... It's Sondheim showing off. It's like, it's the same way as the Miller's son. Like, where it's a very short way for the punch to the punch to the punch and the punch and the pension. Like, it's him showing off whether or not it works or not. And it's the same way. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. He's like, what else it's you a have? jazzy number. I'm going to throw as what many funky in lyrics in there. But I want to talk about losing my mind a little bit more and how a song progresses lyrically. Um, so it's very much droning like, I dim the lights, I think about you. I talk to friends, I think about you. And do they know? It's like I'm losing my mind. And it just builds and builds and builds. And then there's a quote from Sondheim about the last stanza, where instead of, I dim the lights and think about you, spend sleepless nights to think about you. That is a development. Um, and Sondheim's quoted saying, one of the pleasures of writing is noting how a single small word can change or intensify the emotional tone of what is being said. For example, the use of the word to instead of and in the fourth line of the last stanza takes Sally a step further into her obsession with Ben and offers a nice example of the subtle powers I of I feel like that is language. a bit of an overthought of the lyric, show you how much I do understand where, what he's saying, all this I guess. Shit. I mean... But then again, think of how very little real estate you have in a song for lyrics. Like, you have to make every one of them count and you need to find some progression in some way. Yeah. And I feel that. No, he and puts a lot like of effort you, in. Whether you know no it or one's not, denying that here. That too. <laughs> I don't think you'll get any argument from me. <laughs> All right. Finally, 
Sondheim is don't the worry, best. I'll defend Andrew. him for the frogs. And don't worry, I'm gonna shit on him when we talk about the frogs in a few weeks. There's our, there's our little promo. That's I'm gonna say that whether I liked it or Watch not. Watch you be Just like, so you know. this frogs is his best work. <laughs> Underrated. We'll see what happens. I've tried to watch the frog so many times. It is a real rough sit. We'll see what happens. Let's just talk about the finale and all that. Let's wrap this on up. Some like to sink and think in their easy chairs. Of all the things they've risen above. Some like to be profound. Pound. Me, I like to live. Me, I like to laugh. Me, I like to love. Success is well and success is sweet. But every height has a drop. The less achievement, the less defeat. What's the point of shoving your way to the top? Live and laugh and loving, you're never a flop. So when the walls are crumbling, yes, don't give up the ship. No, learn how to laugh, learn how to love, learn how to live. That's my tip. When I hear the rumbling, yes, do I lose my grip? No, I have to laugh, I have to love, I have to live. That's my trip. I think I think we've already covered like it's a great ending that just shows you how utterly yeah, broken good. Ben really is. Yeah, I think I guess the only interesting thing is why does Ben get the ending number? Um, but I feel like I feel like it makes sense within the show because he he doesn't really get his say throughout the entire rest of it. So then his say being at the end is kind of the the point. <laughs> I mean, there is the point. I mean, he has moments where he kind of like sings, but never like a solo. There is the old musical adage where when the emotions get too high, you sing, and when it gets even higher than that, you dance. I feel like this is just the only time his emotions got high enough to sing. Yeah. And it's a mental breakdown. <laughs> and sometimes great at mental breakdowns. Well, it's also like a, he the, the song itself is about the fact that he's kind of built a wall yes. to like prevent himself from getting to that point where he feels those things. And then the whole song is about like how great it is and how good his defense mechanisms are. And wow, I never feel anything except for he forgets the lyrics and then, yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of the moment where the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. You can say you're secure, you can say all this stuff, but as soon as like the lights go down and you're there, you're fucked. Yeah. Ah, oh, God. See, the more we, when we started talking about this, the songs, I'm convinced I love this musical. <laughs> Like that's that's literally what just happened in my head in this discussion, and then I remember. I won't everything I won't else we say, talked about. I won't say that I would uh, think you're wrong if you said you liked this musical. I think it's a musical that is on the edge where I could see if someone said they didn't like it, and I can see if someone said they did. But what and do I you feel? kind of? I can kind of feel both perspectives. I feel like there's enough quality music in it to make it worthwhile for me. Um, but I think if I was going to re-experience it, I might skip around some of the songs and like move forward in the story faster. <laughs> Bree, I feel like you've been like downloading songs and taking a listen while we've been chatting here. How do you think you would have felt about this musical? I would have, I know, I know I would have loved the songs. I was listening to them while you guys were talking about them. What's been um, your favorite so far? I really, really liked, um, it was the waiting upstairs or waiting for the girls. Right? That, That's a good one. That, that one was so, so good. Um, and I just, the way you guys talked about the music, it was a more in-depth conversation than I think 
we typically have on this podcast about the music, uh, which I really enjoyed listening to you guys. Uh, I think go into Sondheim detail about it. More effort into his music than yes, a lot of does. other writers, so there's more to say about it. And you've only been around for one Sondheim, and I think it was your first episode. <laughs> was it? It was Passion, which I think yeah. was your first episode along with Margaritaville. Margaritaville that, for sure. I don't remember I, I, Passion. <laughs> I don't she got know. fucked I feel to like, death. Come on. If we, How do if I we not did remember talk about this? Passion, Passion is like one of the weakest sometimes we've covered. Oh, I think, fuck but. you. No, Passion's great. Whatever. <laughs> I know we usually do tier list, um, but... And, and I feel like this, this is our first Sondheim in a while. We have a little extra time. Do you mind ranking the Sondheims we've covered so far, Andrew? Okay, I'm going to have to write these down. What do we What do we have? And I'll put, I'm pulling like, up our cheese Listen ratings. to me. I'm going to do A. I don't, I'm not going to do... I'm, I'm going to do A tier through D tier. And, and those that's my tier list. And we'll, we'll see where I think they go. All right. So our first one, obviously, is Sweeney Todd. Uh, Sweeney Todd is an easy A tier. Um, then we did Assassins. Assassins, oh boy. Um, that's a rough one for a lot of people. Either C or B. I'm gonna, we'll put it in B for now, because I'm being nice, and we'll see if I still feel that way at the end. Merrily we roll along. Um, I'm gonna also put that in B. Really, B? Yeah. Come on, that show's so good. Alright, Sunday in the Park with George. I'm gonna say also B tier. Everything's going in B tier. There's there's Sweeney Todd and everything else. <laughs> well, let's keep going, keep going. What else we got? Gypsy. Uh, okay, A tier. Yeah, the Gypsy is like nearly faultless. Um, I agree completely. Into the Woods. Also A tier. You see, you were pretty ambivalent to that when we recorded that episode the first time. Then the second time, you were pretty positive on it. <clears throat> I, I think I had to collect my thoughts on that one. Which is also a very rough thing with this show that we tend to overlook is just how quickly you have to watch these shows and then develop an opinion. And sometimes it would have been better to have like a little time in between. I'm sure a lot of these you'd have changed opinions on. Um, but yeah. the next one is Pacific Overtures. Uh, oh, is it controversial if I say C tier? <laughs> um, I get it, but... <laughs> I don't think I liked that one. <laughs> I think that that one is good for what it's trying to do. I also, um, now that I'm looking at it, Assassins is getting moved down to C tier. Really? Yeah. No, it's not as good as Sunday in the Park or Merrily. That, okay, that makes me happy to hear. Um, here's one that I know is going low. Can you guess it before I even say it? Um, is it Company? No, Evening think... Primrose. Oh, Evening Primrose is D tier. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> the Sondheim musical most people forget exists. You know. And I'm, I, if I could add an F tier, which I'm not going to, it might go there. Might. I might still keep it D. Julia, can you make this uh, tier list so that we can post it uh, <laughs> if you're listening? Um, company. Uh, company's B tier. And I think the last... That brings us to Passion. Passion is C tier. No, you you fucking monster. Yeah, that's my tier list. Then where does Follies fit? That's the last one. Um, oh, I feel like I'd want to think about it more because it's... Is it as good as Merrily Company and Sunday in the Park? The thing is... Musically, part... I think it is. But yeah. I don't know how far I'm going to hold it back because I didn't like the plot. <laughs> that is a, Well, you didn't like the plot of Sunday in the Park of George, or at least you didn't like half of it. I didn't, but I liked the music a lot in that one. So I, think so I guess put by that there. standard, I'm going to put it in B tier. We'll put we'll put Follies in B tier. Wow, you put that above Assassins. That fucks with me a bit. Assassins belongs in B, B tier. Come on. 
I'll think about it. I remember Assassins being kind of not the greatest. I feel like if we had done this ep- that episode much later in our run, you would have liked it a lot more. I liked I like the one song quite a bit. I can't remember what the song is, but what's it about? It's a uh, the guy who wanted to assassinate unworthy of was your it love. Reagan. Yes. That one is really good. Come on, Booth song, <laughs> the gun song. There's so many fucking bangers in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Bree, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to rewatch it. That one's been a, it's been a long time on that one. Bree, I might make you watch the frogs because that's another one that's been heavily requested because of Andrew's memeage. <laughs> so is the frogs like? It, are we jumping down to D tier for the frogs? Is that what if you're thinking? If there was an F tier, I'd put the frogs at an F tier. But hey, I watched it a long time ago. Maybe I will have changed it. But we got a little while. We got a couple months before we talk about that. And then don't forget, by the end of the year, we're going to talk about West Side Story. We have to. I will say, I think this tier list, you might be more offended by it than you should be because I didn't add an S tier. So like Merrily Sunday, if there was an S tier, those would probably be an A. And then the stuff I put in A would be an S tier. That makes more sense. But Evening from Rose <laughs> would stay in D tier. Yeah, Evening from Rose would still be in D tier. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm glad we did this. Um, Andrew will update that. Juliet, would you mind keeping uh, a second second page in our 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 little folder um, on our cheese ring thing and keep Andrew's Sondheim ratings there? And when we do when the we... next, Andrew Lloyd Webber will do rating of those. I feel like when we get to like 200 episodes, we have to do like a really long rating every single one we've covered. I feel like we'll have for to patrons. Do, yeah, that can. I like. Be I page. like. I like the tier lists. I think they're fun. We don't put that on the feed though. That's for patrons only. Yeah, patrons only. We'll get a full tier list thing. Um, speaking of patrons, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Um, please wait. We got cheese ratings. Andrew, what's your overall thoughts on Follies and your cheese rating? Okay, I feel like we kind of covered it. Follies is uh very decent. If it was judged based only on the book, I feel like I would not be very positive on it but the music carries hard uh the music is super good sondheim brings his a game um uh, cheese rating i mean oh jeez i know it's oh what's like a good aged cheese you know because i feel like this is the perfect thing to give an aged cheese to um let's see aged wisconsin cheese what do we got i don't know uh i don't want to give it cheddar because i know we've given everything cheddar yeah, that's can our we, most can we, rating. Let's let, let's do yours, and I will give mine afterwards because I'm gonna find a cheese that isn't cheddar. If you give me like a second, I really like Follies. I feel like at the beginning I was much more conflicted about it, but now that I'm like just remembering how great that score is, my God, it is so so rewarding, so incredibly emotionally, it is so good. Um, I cannot recommend you listen to the score enough. I remember when we did, I did a poll on our Twitter asking what people thought of Follies, and people were like, the score is beautiful, but it left me feeling hollow. I get that, and it kind of is supposed to, but I say still give it a try, Um, and you know what? I am going to give this a cheese sandwich from Sprouts Farmer Market in Loveland, Colorado, (laughs) because there's a song called Loveland, and it's spelled the same way. Yeah, I am giving it um, Bannon, which is a cheese made in France from cow or goat milk, and it is a little sour, but it is an aged cheese. Yeah, um, I agree. Bree, what do you think of our our discussion and your cheese rating of that? Um, like I said earlier, I enjoyed the fact that you guys went in depth with the music. Um, 
I think maybe initially in the beginning, I was having a hard time following what the plot was about. Um, but, you know, after further research, I figured it out. Um, and and you're with your discussion in the musical section um, or music section. Um, I would listen to the shit out of that album. Like that album a lot already can tell. Um, but maybe I will. Maybe I won't li- watch the Broadway when anyway. the movie comes out. Um, also, we're, we're officially in the post-150 world. We're going to force Brie to watch a lot more shit. That, that's our New Year's resolution with our post-150 world. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Brie's got this big old smile on her face. She's super excited. You can tell it's a genuine smile. Um, by that, I mean we've got a lot of movies coming out this year um, for musicals we've already covered. And the only way we can add something new to it is to do the thing we did for Cabaret, which is make Brie watch the movie without seeing the musical first and give that opinion. Love Raw it. dog. Love watching movies. <laughs> I'm excited to see some of these movies too, though. Especially Dear Evan Hansen. Looks like it's going to be really good. It's going to be <laughs> so good, dude. I hate you all so much. It's going to be so good. Uh, ben Plath? He's like 16, dude. Oh, yeah. He looks 16. Oh, yeah, yeah. He looks 16-4. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. Anyway, after, uh, since I was rudely cut off. Um, I wasn't. I was building you up. <laughs> I'm going to give mine an aged cheddar because I can. Adding more to like the most overused cheese rating cheddar. Well, I've never given an aged cheddar. You're right. Or you a cheddar, a, probably. Fair point. Um, Juliet, if she's wrong, um, yell at her on Twitter. Yes. I'll see you in my DMs. I'm sure I've given a cheddar. <laughs> like, I, I like how you said with full confidence, I've never given a cheddar. I probably have. I didn't even know. She's given a cheddar. <laughs> you know what else is very cheddar? Our wonderful patrons. Thank you guys for listening. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, at Musicals with Cheese. We're on Twitter at Cheesy Musicals. We're on Patreon at Musicals with Cheese. We're on Instagram, Musicals with Cheese. YouTube page, Musicals with Cheese. Patron-only podcast is Patreon with Cheese. Our email is musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. Our title card was created by the amazing Jolene Casco. Go follow our Instagram at Jolene Casco. Also, how do you like our new... Uh, uh, our, I forgot, we got a new image. Like, Check out our new podcast banner thing. Isn't that cool? We're at a beach. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Our keeper of the cheese is Juliet Antonio. Thank you for doing that, Juliet. This show is produced by the amazing, the incredible, the very cheddar rating giving Brianna Jones. We love you, Brianna, so much. Our brand new themes were created by Robin Nash of IOU Music UK. Thank you, Robin. Go send her some love. Thank you to the Broadway Podcast Network for having us on the platform and for not kicking us off for being ageist in our Follies episode, probably. Um, All right, Andrew, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this shit on up? Um, No. (laughs) I think we've said enough. (laughs) Well, Andrew's not willing to play, play ball today, so we'll see you next time on Musicals with Cheese. I dim the lights, I think about you. Spend sleepless nights to think about you. You said you loved me, or were you just being kind? Or am I losing my mind? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.